right, hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of Tic Tac Talk, uh, Tech State of the Union with Rick Plaka. I'm Candace. I'm Rob. And I'm Rick. <laughs> uh, and we're really, really excited today to welcome a special guest. Uh, thank you so much for being here, uh, Professor Plaka. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, we've been hankering to have you down, come become a guest on our podcast since the beginning of it, because I feel like if, feel free to disagree, but whenever we talk in class, Rob, right, we always talk to Plaka because he's just as big as a tech head as we are. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, in previous episodes, we've alluded to a anonymous influencer in our classes, um, which has usually been Professor Plaka. We... You know, he's been a great resource to us, so we're excited to have you on. Well, thank you. That's very kind. I enjoy this podcast. I've been following it since the beginning, and uh, gets me. I like the discussions and I like the topics, so it's been very fun to follow along. So it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Great. Uh, so for our listeners, could you kind of give a little description of who you are and what you do? Sure. As soon as I figure it out, <laughs> I uh, graduated here 29 years ago this year. Uh, computer science and electrical engineering. A little bit of math and MIS thrown in. Evolved along a storied career that became an IT-based career as a consultant and uh, eventually as uh, designing applications and what eventually led to now I'm the CEO of Apertura, and, uh, which uh, is a component content management company uh, designed around some hybrid databases that I designed years ago and that we put together and have evolved over time with the team, and you guys have met a bunch of the folks on my team. And uh, about uh, the inception of the ITWS program here at RPI, I was asked to consult on the external advisory board, which I did, until about five or six years ago when they asked me to teach. And so, uh, against what I thought was their better judgment, (laughs) I decided to uh, do that. I like it a lot, and so I've continued to do so. And so I... Uh, I don't know which is my day job and which is my night job or my side job anymore, but I uh, run Apertura by day and teach by night or what the other way around. And so uh, that's me. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, we kind of wanted to spend this time during this podcast uh, kind of asking these questions that we pretty much have asked Plaka outside of the classroom, uh, but kind of to hear you guys listen as well, just because... Um, I think you are the man that owns the most amount of phones <laughs> in both of our lives, right? Uh, you certainly. own the whole collection, and you've seen kind of the tech landscape change for an extended period of time, which is just, you know, an, every annual release. So mm-hmm. I think we're just going to go through, kind of do a state of the union to see what it's like right now in technology. Definitely, and provide a much-needed change of perspective from us, too. Thank you. Very nice way of saying that I'm old, <laughs> by the way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel a little bit justifi- uh, justified in... Uh, criticizing or complimenting any of the different technologies and companies because I try to own them all. So I have personal experience with many of them, uh, certainly in the smartphone and the tablet and the laptop variety, as you guys know. I mean, I've got the, the flagship killers. I've got the Nexus phones. I've got the Apple phones. I've got the tablets, the iPads, the MacBooks, the Surface Book Pro. and Oh, no, the Surface, uh, yeah, the Surface Book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the developer preview of Windows now with the Bash shell. Thank you very much. I'm happy about that. The promises to be nice. So, yeah, I definitely am a uh, propeller head, and I'm proud of the propeller that's on my head. There's no question about it. This, so, oh, sorry. Uh, this leads perfectly into our first question for you. Mm-hmm. What has been your favorite piece of tech then for this last year? <laughs> Ironically, I was thinking about this because I expected this question. And... Uh, it will not be something that you would expect. My favorite piece of tech, 
the first one, and then I'll give you a, another real one. But the first one is my Breville toaster oven. What? Really? It has some intelligence in it, and I can put a frozen bagel in, or I can put a, un, un, a fresh bagel in on the same setting. It cooks the bagel to perfection each time. Wow. Loving it. <laughs> uh, so, that is my favorite. It feeds me, so there you go. It's my favorite piece of tech. We'll make sure to c- include a link down in the uh, show notes for this exact model, probably on Amazon or Ab- something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But can you give us so it's not a standard like two-slide toaster, right? It's a larger convection? It's a toaster oven with convection in it, and it's got some sensors in there. I don't think it's as smart as the smart oven that they're talking about now that's got the camera in it. That's oh, yeah, like yeah. 1500 yeah. bucks. I know what you're talking about. This is much cheaper than that, although still expensive for a toaster oven. But it's got some technology in there. It's sensing or whatever. I don't know. You dial in the type of food you want. You dial in the type of category of it, and it senses it. And it makes it perfect every time. The bagels, the pizza, you know, whatever. And, you know, I'm a guy that is not cooking much, so that's perfect for me. So that's my probably my favorite piece of tech, but it's not, you know... Uh, smartphone or uh, other related. I do love the Yahweh Nexus 6P phone. Mm. Hands down, it's the best phone I've had. Uh, leaving aside the fact of the Android experience that I can get Marshmallow or actually even N on it, and N is pretty stable. I'm running it on a couple of devices. Not my main phone. Uh, but I do like the Nexus 6P. And on the laptops, I still program on the MacBook. I use the MacBook primarily because I want a Linux-based machine that gives me the access to some applications. But I am very hopeful for being able to run Bash next to Windows. Uh, and w- if that works, then I'll probably move back over to the, the uh, Surface Book. Not because I like the interface of Windows 10 anymore than the Mac, but because I do want and use the touch screen and like the fact that I can detach the tablet. The tablet on the Surface Book is unbelievably light. And even though it's a little bigger than I would normally like, it's very handy. So to that point, um, when you're home lounging around, do you reach for um, one of your iDevices, one of your Android tablets, <laughs> or the Surface Book when you're looking for Honestly, tablet entertainment? this is a little embarrassing because at my home, I've got my chair. I've got my 65-inch 4K television across the way from me, <laughs> and I have all of my devices within hand's reach. So I've got all the phones on the table to my left. I've got the Mac. I've got the IBM, uh, the uh, uh, Microsoft Surface Book on my left. I've got my Mac on my right, and I've got my tablet on my Android tablet on my right. Everything's within reach, and generally I'm playing with all of them at any given time because I actually do com- try to compare the experiences. That really reminds me of like that Game of Thrones picture with the man on the throne with all the swords, except this time it's phones, tablets, laptops. <laughs> I'm imagining, yeah, I'm imagining like him sitting in a cockpit, in a rotating chair, and when something buzzes, it's kind of like Wolf on the Office, where everything goes off at once. The, scary, the scary part is I'm probably imagining that too. <laughs> That's really cool. Hmm, interesting, interesting. So with all those services, um, you're probably invested in a lot of streaming services, or you no. try to keep like a library. I have found a couple of streaming services that I like, and I've really called them all down. I've had most of them at different times, mm-hmm. uh, but I really am on play music and I've been there from the beginning so I pay the early uh, adopters fee fee, I think it was Mm $7.99 which got me uh, YouTube Red as well good deal so I've got that and Netflix Um, no Hulu no HBO uh, Hulu I also have Hulu yes I've I've pretty much cord cut I don't watch any regular television Mm -hmm. uh, except unless I want to watch the NASCAR races you know or some other sports Mm -hmm. but Hulu yeah, the Hulu and Netflix. I don't pay for HBO or Showtime or any of that. The uh, uh, 
Game of Thrones I did last year, and then this year I said I'll just wait till they're all out and they'll come out, so I don't even bother with them at this point. Um, there was one other streaming service I thought I had, but I don't can't think of it right now. I know you're also being on Google Drive, you were telling me last night. Well, yes. So my consulting company, well, actually, and Apertura are both on Google Apps. So as a consultant with domain, my domain, TSI400.com, uh, it's a, a Google Apps domain. And mm-hmm. because I'm only one user, I use that as my personal email. It's five ninety nine a month for a full service, and they give you unlimited storage with that. Mm-hmm. So I am integrated into the full Google suite of uh, services. So, yeah, I do have that. I don't look at that as a streaming service, but you're right. It's a subscription service that I mm-hmm. also pay for. I'm sure there are one or two others, but I yeah. like Spotify, Pandora, uh, I hate all of those, and I've called them all out. What do you use to stream those services to your devices and stuff? Um, what do you use for your streaming box as your cord cutter? Uh, I use the uh, NVIDIA Shield in my oh. place up here, and I use the Nexus Player down south only because I'm too cheap to buy a second NVIDIA Shield, and I'm not down there enough. Do you use any of the game streaming features with the NVIDIA Shield? I don't have time to game anymore. I used to, and mm-hmm. I certainly would, and I've done enough to really be amazed, because like I said, I've got a 65-inch 4K television. So I can it's imagine. The, the, it's beautiful. Um, so, But I just don't have the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Understandably. What's your favorite thing about the NVIDIA Shield? We've talked about it before. Actually, convinced my brother to buy one for himself due to your recommendation, but you've tried all these boxes. There's also Chromecast, which is... A lot oh, I've got all of them. I've got Chromecast. I've got uh, Apple TV. I've got the uh, uh, Roku. I've got the uh, Fire. I've got the uh, Nexus Player, and I've got the Nvidia Shield. Hands down, the Nvidia Shield. It's faster. Uh, their graphics are much better. The fact that they support the 4K streaming of Netflix. I was going to say, because your 4K me. television needs the right box, right? Mm-hmm. right? It's still pretty limited in terms of options for streaming boxes and 4K, right? Yes. I, well, yeah, I guess so. I don't know right now. The YouTube YouTube will come down uh, 4K to the NVIDIA Shield if there's 4K video, I believe. It, Netflix definitely does, but HBO and the others don't. Those I have to use the interface from the television directly, which works. Yeah. I'm just yeah. not a big fan of Tizen, so I don't mess with it too much. It's always a little bit slow, too, right? Like any TV operating system that's built in, I feel like there's always a slight delay. There's a slight lag, for sure, but I like the Amazon. There are a couple of Amazon shows that I like that are in 4K, and so I stream them directly to the television because I can watch them. I've sideloaded uh, the Amazon video mm-hmm. onto the NVIDIA Shield, but it won't stream in 4K because that... It thinks it's a tablet app or something, right? You're, something tr- like you're tricking that. it by putting an APK since it runs right. open a- it opens runs Android. But so I can stream everything, but it doesn't stream in 4K, and I like mm. the 4K. I've gotten spoiled. <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting. So you were kind of getting this earlier when you said you didn't have time to game, but um, mm. as discussed, you have two full time jobs and a personal life. How do you pack <laughs> it all? I don't know about a personal life. But <laughs> I've, got, I've got two full time jobs. Uh, how do I keep track of everything? Oh, okay, so like a little bit of my workflow? Yeah, um, I'll toot your horn a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if Rob, you can once again disagree, if, um, but we're constantly amazed that you can balance everything. We come, we see you in class the two days a week, and you're always on top of it. You've seen our emails. You're also managing assignments and things like that, too. And uh, But we've never really heard about your workflow before. So how do you manage all these different people emailing you and all your different commitments? Uh, one thing I learned when I was here, uh, was how to survive on lack of sleep. That's part of it. 
but no, in all seriousness, though, I actually do get pretty normal sleep. I just don't need a lot of it. But uh, it's odd. I, a lot of people ask me that question, and I don't have a really good answer because I just do it. So it's not something I have to think about. It's just that I do it. I have been very blessed in the career that came its way with me. You know, I learned I would plan to be a computer scientist. There was no such thing as IT when we went here. And the career evolved as I evolved, I guess. And I like what I do. And so I enjoy teaching immensely. I enjoy working with you folks. And, uh, you, you know, as I've expressed before, I it keeps makes me better. It keeps me good. It keeps me on my toes. And it's something I enjoy. So it's not work. My job, I like. It's built, uh, it's a company built around a technology that I developed through uh, somebody coming to me with a problem that they didn't know how to solve. And so I created or I conceived of and then caused, cre helped and worked on creating to be built a product around that. And now there's a service and companies using that product. And I run the company now and I take that responsibility very seriously. And But I enjoy it too. And so uh, you do what you have to do. I work seven days a week. And if my, I try to balance it, I have a place up here and I do my carpentry, as you guys know, and I do, I've got little hobbies, you know, I, I definitely spend my time testing these technologies. Most of it is to be able to answer your questions when you guys come up <laughs> here and be able to answer with some authority when you tell me that this is better or that's better or you like this, I like to know. I like to have tried it. So when we were having a discussion the other night, Rob, about wh whose fault is it that this app doesn't work the same on one platform as another, I can speak from a position of having tried them and taken a look. And, and it doesn't make me right, but it definitely gets me informed about the issues. And one of the things that, that, that all of you should take from that type of thing is that you should do somewhat of the same thing because it's doing that that has helped me, in a sense, predict the future to a certain extent, right? So to know how interfaces are going, to not necessarily know where a company is going, but to know how people are going to interact with computers. So people are surprised by the automation of computers and these smartphones now, and I've been talking about it for 10 years. So it's, But it's not because I'm a psychic, it's because I read and I watch and I see where these trends go. And so we're talking about things with cars now that I've been talking about for a long time. This continuum that Microsoft talked about a year or so ago, that is very promising. And it's going to be game-changing in the way that people interface with computers and work with computers and buy and own computers, you know. And so it's... So, but how do I do it? I just do it. And I've... I've Nike is... He is sponsoring our show yeah. today. He's just saying, yeah. just do it for a reason. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I just kind of do it. I just kind of, if I can, if I want to do it and I can do a good job at it, then I'll take it on. If I don't think I can, then I try to step away from it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I made a commitment, and the parent company of Apatura was behind me teaching and afforded me the time, and RPI was behind me still continuing to have a regular job, and so they afforded me the luxury of the time, and it's worked out very well together. And so there are no conflicts, and I balanced the two, I think, pretty well. I would definitely agree with that. So to go more into the nitty-gritty then, um, do you have a task management system? How do you then manage all your different commitments between Apertura and teaching at RPI? It's interesting. And uh, I've always been fortunate in stuff that most of my stuff I would always keep in my head. And I still do to a certain extent. 
that said, as I've gotten older, it's not as easy, and more things cram in there, and so it becomes tougher. I use Google Calendar. I have uh, I have a separation of concerns, if you will, in the sense that I use I'm tied pretty much to the Google ecosystem, mostly because it's free or near free. Five dollars a month to me is free for the scope that I do with the consulting and the storage. But I have a calendar for RPI, I have a calendar for my personal, and I have a calendar for Apertura. And I use those three together. I have emails for all of those three as well, and I use those three also together. I don't, any personal emails I had and stuff I don't use. Uh, maybe for junk mail or what have you, I'll, I'll throw something in there and let the uh, uh, mail go off into the abyss. But uh, generally those are the three that I use. So I use email, I use calendar, I try to bring the reminders into the calendar as best I can, and Google's doing a better job with Inbox now being able to pin these things. Are so that's you using promising. Inbox as your main interface for Gmail, or are you still using standard Gmail? Depends. I use Inbox for Apertura primarily because of the way I can categorize things. I don't have the need to categorize things quite as granularly for anything else, so I use uh, TypeMail on the Android which allows me to consolidate my mailboxes, which is nice, and keep mm -hmm. track of the, like, I can colorize each account. So RPI, of course, is red, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know, I have different colors for the different groups and different accounts, which helps. And then I use Wonderlist for Task Manager, and I'm starting to get into Slack to communicate with my team, starting right now with my management team at Apertura, eventually with students and things like that, as if I can integrate it. Hopefully, can't integrate with LMS, of course, but I'll try to integrate it with something. Uh, building an attendance app with one of my students uh, for classes where I want to have attendance tracked automatically, and I want to use that as a Slack channel as well. So we'll see how that goes. Um, so Slack, and I'm starting to move that out, as I said, with my team. And then Apertura uses the Elastian product, so we use Jira, Confluence, Bitbucket, and so on. Wow, it's quite the suite. Yeah, I mean, the main it it there are a few bunch of things. I I'm trying all of them all the time, of course, just like the devices. But really, where it ends up is Gal Google Calendar and email is where most of my workflow happens, and I use the inbox as my to do list. Once a week, it's empty. Oh, so you hit inbox zero every single week, or what's zero? If I have ten emails in my inbox, that's zero. Okay. I get probably 150 to 200 emails that I have to at least sanitize or, clar or, or categorize every day. I probably get three or 400 a day. 200 can go right in the garbage. 50 or 70 of them can just go right into the archive because I'll need them for research maybe later. But the rest all have to be looked at because they're either from students or they're from business-related stuff. And I do that every night. Wow. Here I thought I had a lot of email. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm, I'm already thinking, having you interact with students and stuff like that, too, you know, they're always like, oh, I sent you an email for this. I sent you an email for that. And I was like, there's going to be so many emails in my own inbox for things like, you know, the modify grades or send instructions to clarify, things like that, too. Do you, like, set out a specific time to do all this email processing? Or are you one of those people that are constantly checking, trying to quarantine it. I've tried to balance it. Okay, so I was always one that would take whatever email the thing beeped on, I looked at it. And I still do to a certain extent. But I process the RPI emails typically the night before class or the weekend before classes. So, uh, because I find it becoming, I don't give them the proper 
time if I try to do them during the day when I'm down in the office down in Apertura, and vice versa. So when I come up here the night before class, I work on the RPI stuff. I'm pretty much in RPI mode. I'm reading the cases. I'm reading the book. I'm reading the current events for the class. Uh, reading current events just to keep track of what's going on or something I want to bring up. And I'm processing emails, grading, you know, whatever. Hmm. I noticed you used to wear a smartwatch and you've started to not wear that. How has that affected kind of your flow of the notifications? Do you feel... Um, like one day you might return to something like that, or have you tried to like kind of take a step back from your notifications, or has that been a non-concern? Uh, I have my phone close enough to me at almost all times that I don't need the watch for notifications. The watch doesn't give me enough useful information. Mm -hmm. All it does is tell me to go to the phone, really. It's basically what happens, and opening something on the phone is not worth it to me. I've got two different Android watches, uh, the Moto 360 and the uh, Yahweh. I don't wear them primarily because they don't really give me much. I'm not interested in having to uh, charge my watch every day. And I'm actually old school enough that I really like watches. And I'm fortunate enough to have a couple of nice watches that I try to wear. And so I wear them because I enjoy wearing watches. That's like the big debate too. I love my Apple watch and I've always wore a watch. But there are like a couple of watches my parents have given me that I love wearing. And now I can't see myself switch back because I like seeing those notifications when I need them or that weather. So I'm like hoping one day I get a nicer watch, but it's going to be a long time before they're going to be built in with mm -hmm. smart capabilities. I've got a good friend that wears two watches for that reason. One on each wrist? or yeah. Sometimes two on one wrist, but oftentimes one on each wrist. One is the Apple, and the other is a traditional watch. Mm. Have they been openly mocked in public? <laughs> I don't think so. The person I'm talking about is pretty famous, and so in, and so I don't think anybody's mocked them. In fact, he's a little bit of a, a propeller head like me too. So they probably expect it. But he yeah. like he likes the watch, but he has the, his fitness and all his other stuff, and he and he does it on the yeah. Apple. I can totally understand that. I have my definitely opinions on the Apple Watch, but the health tracking is most of the reason why I keep it on. And if I had like a Fitbit or something else, I definitely feel the need to keep that on. Um, in addition to my other watch, because you know, there's certainly a time and a place for a watch that looks. So like let me ask you: Do you? Do you worry about, does, does it track your heartbeat automatically? Do you do that part of it? Yeah, yeah. That's, okay. I think, my number one use case for it. I don't really check too many notifications. I've turned most of them off at this point. So it's a clock and my heartbeat. Because the pedometer and everything's in the phones, too. So, you you know. Yeah. I, um, and this is something I know is kind of like a little unique, but when I ran, um, I used to run a lot more in high school. I would never run with my phone. Me, too. So <laughs> when I go running, I hate bringing my phone. And I know this oh, isn't okay. that accurate, but... It's better than nothing. Oh, no, and right. I get my heartbeat and stuff. So that, for me, is justification to keep it on. Um, and I've started, we talked about this before, but I enter my meals in my phone. I get my sleep in my phone, and I get my heartbeat through this. So I like to see how that all comes together. And I think that's pretty interesting. The quantified Rob. No, that's exactly. a great use case. I mean, that really is a good use case for the phone. If, if I And I have so far done my best not to exercise, as is evident by my physique. So the uh, that obviates the need for that. Mm -hmm. If I were to run regularly, I would wear some sort of fitness device for sure. I don't know that it would be a watch. Yeah, uh, It might be a Fitbit or something that I could get away with wearing in addition <laughs> to a watch. Yeah. Because I do like the watches. I mean, I, I just mm -hmm. have gonna, to say. I'm going to ask you, like, your current opinions are a little bit more lukewarm towards these wearables, but maybe because it's so uh, immature in development, but do you ever see yourself going back to having like a standard wearable or going oh, back yeah. to a watch one day? I think that the Google Glass has a lot of potential. I have one, as you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that that technology is going to come, you know, the HoloLens technology, you take that, bring it down into a size that's going to fit onto our glasses 
Canada. So and all of a sudden, it, that's a game changer. I will not say that I did not enjoy driving down the street and having the map superimposed over my eyes as I'm watching, looking straight down the road and de- it waking up and telling me to make a turn. Yeah. That was nice. I think that's more useful than when we were talking about when the Apple Watch taps you. So uh-huh. there's like this type of rhythm for a tap. Like that stuff I think is kind of gimmicky. But that vision where it's like overlaying information to augment the experience. Yeah, the Android does that too. You, if you've got the map on, it'll it'll wake up and buzz a little bit to tell you. And that's kind of handy. Yeah. But again, you know, that, I found that handy when I was walking. So if I was walking yeah. in the city and all of a sudden it reminded me to take a turn, I was like, oh, okay, because you, you get sidetracked, you're looking in the windows or whatever. Yeah. Um, in the car, it's more of a distraction because I'm not looking down to my right for a phone. I'm looking to my left to my watch and I'm going to run into a car or something, you know, run yeah. somebody over. So that's agreed. Yeah. Have you invested into any other VR or AR projects um, like the HoloLens developer kit, the HTC Vive, the Oculus, Google Cardboard? <laughs> well, I have Cardboard. I've got a couple of them because they give them away at all these trade shows. Mm-hmm. But uh, And I played with it. I thought it was kind of neat. I've got, I have not done anything with the HoloLens yet because I just don't have the time to really play with it. The uh, But again, I think augmented reality is the way of the future. You're going to sit in your car and mm-hmm. you're going to have all of this fancy stuff that you hold up your phone with the, the game, you know, the augmented reality stuff is going to be part of your windshield. And you're, it's just going to be part of your windscreen for now. Mm-hmm. And eventually it's going to be your windscreen because you're not even going to have one. Right, because your car is going to be driving itself. You're going to go in, and that's when I'll start to exercise. When I can put a treadmill in my car, and the car drives <laughs> and just me like, back yeah, and forth you, to school. One of those bicycle things as you as you go up the highway. Totally, it'll be Flintstones. I'm going to call it. <laughs> we'll oh, go yeah. full circle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Full circle. Um, so I guess going from Google Cardboard, let's kind of see your understanding or your opinions about our favorite tech companies right now. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the easiest one, since you said you're already invested in the Google ecosystem. What makes you most excited about Google, or what are your yeah, that's a good way product. to put it. Well, it's interesting. I, I think Google still has a hunger to innovate and to try to bring... Th- they seem to have, and this is mostly PR, because I'm not going to say any of it's true. I used to say the same type of thing about Microsoft, in that, you know, Google is trusted by people. You're giving your data to Google. Google's giving you applications and giving you access to stuff for supposedly free, but of course your data is you know, worth something, and you're giving it to them. People feel comfortable giving their stuff to Google where they don't necessarily feel as comfortable giving it to Apple and some of the others. Whether that's fair judgment or not, I'm not going to tell you. I don't know. Uh, I have some of that instinct as well. But I think that while what Google is doing is dangerous, I think that they are innovating and they are bringing things to into people's hands much cheaper than anybody else. They are doing in the smartphone world, if we're just talking about smartphones, what IBM did, in the PC world, when Apple was dominating or trying to dominate or was a mm-hmm. first mover in the late 70s, early 80s on the Apple II and, and Apple devices. And by making it low cost, by adding features and not charging, they're basically making it effective. You know, back in the day when Microsoft was able to really get a lot of uh, ground, gain a lot of ground on, on IBM and Apple. Because IBM and Apple would charge $200, $300 for an upgrade of their operating system, and Microsoft charged 35 bucks. So while everybody's running around trying to steal and, and rip off copies of OS Warp or, or DOS or uh, PC DOS, that is, or Apple, they say, for 35 bucks, I get all the manuals. Back then, you got a table full of manuals, and you say, for 35 bucks, I'll just buy it. 
He didn't bother to steal it. And clearly they took over the desktop market, desktop OS market, and IBM, because they missed the boat, they didn't do this magnanimously, IBM, right? Mm -hmm. They opened source effectively before it was open source, but they opened up the technology for all of the cards and stuff because they didn't realize what it was. They had an internal memo, and they believed that by the end of the 80s, there'd be 250,000 PCs. Didn't know that it was wrong by a couple orders of magnitude. <laughs> so they just opened it up. But because all the technology was open and Apple's busy suing Ace and, and, and uh, the, the clones, Microsoft, uh, IBM was like, go for it, take it. And what happened was they and Microsoft just ended up owning the planet. And so on that side. And so, and I like the fact that Google seems to be open. They want, they seem to be responsible what people want. If, and they come up with features that seem to help people. And so Google seems to be, at least at this point, promising and diversifying in a way that says, look, we're going to try this. If it works, great. If it gets five, you know, if it gets five, ten companies to develop a technology based on what we did to make it better for people, that's what they want. They seem to truly want to help people's lives with the medical stuff, to get people on the Internet. And they want the data, clearly, but they seem to want to get people on the Internet first. And again, maybe that's a PR thing, but it seems like they want people on the Internet first and the data second, as opposed to Facebook, where everybody kind of has a different sense of their privacy issues, because I think of the way they started, where they were originally to protect people from, you had to be a part of a school community, whatever, to be on it, and next thing you know, it's open, and no, we should have this, and, and Zuckerberg's out there saying, no, we should be able to do that, and people just get new identities when they're 18. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, so... That just wasn't really trusted, and so I don't think that they're trusted. And um, again, right, wrong, or different, the impression seems to be that Facebook wants to get their data by getting people on the internet, where mm -hmm. Google seems to want to get people on the internet. And by the way, they'll take the data. So who knows? Mm. Do you think Google's alone in that philosophy where they really want to get you? Um, I'm going to say on their platform to encompass a few more companies, but um, you know, you, you speak to being Google, to Google being very open, um, and I would definitely agree they contribute a lot to the open source community. They release a lot of their products as this open platform. Well, Facebook philosophy. does as well. A lot of them do. Yeah. I'm saying that, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Google has that impression. Whether mm -hmm. they're really doing it or not remains to be seen. Okay. They're okay. all doing different things. You know, React is a very popular framework right now by Facebook that's mm -hmm. open sourced. So it's just there's this perception that seems to be relatively universal that Google are, good, are the good guys and Facebook's the evil empire. Whether that's true or not remains to be seen. Uh, and I'm not saying it is one way or the other, but clearly Google is putting things in people's hands and their commodity and the price for it is the same is the data and the activities. And they seem to be giving you good things with your data at the same time they're taking it. Where Facebook's taking it, customizing ads, but they're not really returning anything to you. It's like the same news feed and profile system that they had since the beginning. Right. But yet Google Now is doing all kinds of things now. So look, we're going to know where you are. You know it. I know it. But yet when you get close to your home, I'll turn up the heat for you. Or when you leave your home, I'll turn off the camera or turn on the cameras and do whatever. Yeah. So now you get an added benefit that I didn't ask for. I didn't pay for it. Maybe some users did. Yeah. So they, And I think that that's where they get the good PR. Because they're giving back Google Photos, right? Like everyone's using Google Photos. Yeah. It's an, it's pretty much free for unlimited storage, and they do these things where they do the time hop where you can go back in time, and you can search, and they use all their photo recognition. For Facebook, they have a very similar tool where you can upload all of your yeah. photos, but the only benefit is just to make it easier for you to upload to the service, right? You don't get any of that augmentation. 
Well, I think Facebook has tried to emulate it. Um, I know my my mother actually uses it, and I told her to stop because they sent it in a proprietary way, and I was like, I'm not going to open these. I don't want the app. But um, from what she's told me, it's a pretty similar experience. You can search. Um, I don't know if it's quite as good, but it's definitely uh, similar, and I haven't used it really hands-on too much. Um, but speaking to Facebook, and especially what you were saying at the end there with the automation, um, I think that's really interesting, especially where Facebook's going with the bots and everything at F8 this year. Do you see Google and Facebook as competitors in this data uh, web space? Um, and you know, to Facebook's point, um, I know you were saying they're kind of seen as this ominous controlling uh, company, and I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that. But um, I think it's fair to say to a lot of people, uh, not necessarily tech consumers, but to more um, normals, normal people, Facebook is the internet. You know, you go to Facebook, and that's your aggregate for links, um, content. Outside of maybe your homepage and a couple other things, Facebook has become the source yeah, for everything, for good or bad. Well, I think that that's dangerous for Facebook in mm-hmm. the long run. Uh, that's where Apple's perception was at the beginning, that the only way you could have a smartphone was Apple. And, and I think it's left Apple flat a little bit because they can't stay innovative. It's impossible to stay closed. And Facebook is trying to keep everybody inside of their ecosystem. And I think they're going to learn. And I think they're starting to realize that's why... They're creating these open source frameworks and things like that for developers to be able to program on a framework that may or may not go to Facebook, but yet still will uh, garner support through the developer community, which has become much, much more powerful over the last number of years That uh, in driving technology. What do you think? Or sorry. No, go ahead. What do you think of the bots specifically they're working on? Well, look, I don't think they are presenting it in a way that sounds like it's unique. Mm-hmm. It's not. Slack has them. Jira has them, uh, Google has them, WhatsApp has them, you know, Facebook has them now because, and so uh, Google has had it for a long time in the sense that I can ask Google to do something for me and it's pretty reliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether or not what shape they take remains to be seen, I think that uh, having these devices track where we are, what we're doing, have them interact with our appliances and other things, home cameras, whatever it may be, security system. Toasters. Well, toasters. My, <laughs> my toaster's not network connected, which was a requirement, thank you. That's some things I don't need people knowing, like how many calories I'm eating. How many bagels? How many, frozen, <laughs> how many frozen pizzas I'm cooking for dinner. Uh, but there is no question that I'm going to want my systems to do work for me. And... IFTT has become very popular with a lot of people. Now, they're scary in the sense that their privacy policy is very clear about the fact that they're going to take all the data and tracking and they pl- and they say they'll use it any way they want to and what have you. Uh, but Facebook wants that. They don't want you to go outside of Facebook. They want you in Facebook. And so they're going to come up with the bots to allow you to connect to a lot of these things, which is smart for them. But again, sometimes too much control is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it remains to be seen. You know, Google seems to be a little bit more ubiquitous in the sense that Google now will turn on my, uh, I can have Google talk to Alexa, you know, the Amazon thing or whatever. And now but Google's planning on coming out with their own. So who knows? I think that's a really interesting comparison you draw between Facebook and Google because I think the traditional comparison is Google and Apple or Google Microsoft. Um, but uh, I think that's a really great point because especially with the stuff they're doing with search too, you can almost look at Facebook as the people component of search, 
whereas Google is the web and Facebook can search people. Well, there's no question. Facebook is the people network. It's definitely it's trying to connect people and trying to get you accessing people. And the problem is, well, it's not a problem, but it is not enough. Mm-hmm. Right, you need to be tied to more than just people. The Internet of Things is a real thing, you know. Yeah. And I need to. I want to know traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, Google gives me traffic information. Facebook doesn't at this point. Eventually, it will. But where's it going to get its data? You're just yeah. ask five of your friends who might drive by the highway, right? Who might? And you know, your your network would have to be very large to do that. But also, then you've got to have Facebook running all the time. And yeah. so, yeah. I mean, and all of these things are possible, and they are competitors. And I think. They are all, it's a hyper-competitive landscape. They're all against Google at this point, mm-hmm. um, in, in addition to being, you know, against each other as well. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, you know, you know. and so it's a, it's a very interesting and dynamic landscape. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. I think, um, speaking of this financial quarter especially, it's really interesting because the traditional tech giants, um, I know Apple specifically did not have the best quarter I don't know if Microsoft or Google really had um, anything of note, but I know Amazon and Facebook had phenomenal quarters. Mm-hmm. Amazon's hardware department, I know, took off. And I think Facebook, um, I read they almost tripled their expected revenue, well, which is I think crazy. Amazon's a sleeper. I think I've said that in class a few times, and I think that's something you got to watch. Bezos seems to be fl- happy to fly right underneath the press for Facebook of Zuckerberg and Google and, and Page and, and Brennan and just fly right underneath their radar and take up pick up all kinds of different things their popularity with this alexa thing even mm-hmm. though it drives me batty what's your thought um, do you own an alexa i do and do you use it i do when they first announced it i was like a 200 dollars speaker and it doesn't sound that great and it has a voice assistant but now hearing everyone talk about it I, uh, melissa is all in on alexa. yeah i know i'm i'm not a fan mm-hmm. i use it a little bit it's not worth the money to oh, me really? at this point I cannot effectively or at least I haven't been able to figure out effectively how to do a, an internet search on something uh, it's really good at putting stuff in a shopping cart if I want to buy something <laughs> that's what Amazon wants you to do yeah, right? of course of course and it's okay at turning lights on and things like that but it's very finicky with what you call the different devices for example I have one Nest thermostat and if I say turn up the heat it tells me it doesn't know what the device is there can only be one device to turn up my heat. It knows it's an S thermostat. I feel it should be smart enough to know. And I just, you know, once I figured out what to call it and name things appropriately, it works. But quite frankly, in the time it takes me to do that, I can walk across the room and dial up the knob mm. or type it up on my, on my smartphone. So, uh, or tell Google. To do it. I can just say, okay, Google, to raise the temperature in the house to whatever, and, and, and Google. Google does it. So, you know. I think what's extremely interesting is not only do they have the series of Alexa devices now um, from Amazon, but they put it on a watch. Not their product, but a third-party service put Alexa on a watch. And then there was that um, oh, that fridge. fridge magnet where you can stick Alexa to your fridge um, in essentially the same form factor. <laughs> but Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it, it's no up. different, really, than Google's yeah. mm-hmm. or Siri or the other. And the question is how they apply it. And if Google comes out with a device like this, I think it's going to be a game changer if they do it right because they've got the home automation with Nest, although they've got some problems with Nest clearly in the integration issue, right? Yeah, they've 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 changed the whole structure now at this point where the lead, the former lead of Motorola came back to Google now and he's going to be in charge of all hardware. Oh, is that right? So That was less than a day ago, I think. Yeah, just announced on Friday that he left Microsoft 
Lenovo, or he left uh, Motorola, and now he's going back to Google, and everything is being funneled under him. And he's yeah. Under even I think the Pixel stuff, uh, the Nest stuff. So that's really smart. I mean, it's very hard to have a har- hardware and a software company under one roof, and so Google seems to be doing a decent job because they run them as separate companies. The one that's not don't seem to be dependent upon each other, which is nice. More of a uh, uh, European or, or uh, uh, corporate structure as opposed to an American corporate structure. The uh, um, Apple's more American corporate structure, it's a problem for them. And that's why they've had some issues. Google stock didn't fall nearly as much even though their earnings were down, but people expected it to change a little bit because of the split. Everybody's been waiting for this for Apple, and Apple just had a really bad week. Okay? Yeah. So they had bad earnings, which was bound to happen because they've not been innovative. You know, and despite what people say, they've got a great marketing engine. But you know, with the other stuff that, ha- and then the trader made a mistake and caused the stock to drop even more. And then, but then it fell again yesterday. So, you know, they're not having a good week. Mm. Yeah. Do you still foresee Apple being a major player like they are now in the future? Absolutely. And, um, in what specific markets? I know we talked about cars, and there's been a plethora of rumors that they're working on something. I think the cars. Are you alluded to that? I think probably the car mm-hmm. is a is a pipe dream. I don't think that they're. You've got one company trying to do it all themselves. See, Google doesn't do it themselves. They do it with partners. So when Google's doing the cars, they've got the technology, they've got a lot of these things, but they bring partners in to do it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Apple's trying to do a lot of this stuff. They're working with some of the car companies, but the problem is the car companies don't really want smart cars. So it remains to be seen whether they really come out with something innovative. I would like them to. I mean, I would like them to come out with something game-changing. The mm-hmm. iPhone changed the way that people work with devices. It led to the demise of the laptop, certainly the, solidified the demise of the desktop, and is leading to the demise of the laptop. And Apple did that. Mm-hmm. There's no question they were, they were innovative. They were innovative for a long time, and they made a lot of changes, but they've lost their edge. And the problem, I believe, as you guys well know, is that they are tied to owning the entire ecosystem. They want all of the hardware, and they want all of the operating system, which I think is very hard to try to be innovative on all fronts. You've got Apple making innovations to iOS. You've got the world making innovations to Android. Mm. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Look at all the developers. You've got Samsung, HTC. These are just companies. You've got Cyanogen which was one of the leading open source mod companies for Android. Now they're their own company, making their own operating system. I think they're owned by Microsoft now. Uh, owned by or they have a relationship oh, as a okay. partnership where they're going to be, they're doing, managing, I think, the cross-development of their apps. Oh, okay. Like Outlook and the managing Accompli and all that other stuff yeah. that they bought. Because Microsoft is interesting. They That's finally over. woke up and realized that they need to play well with others. I don't disagree with you at all, um, and I think open sourcing a platform is the best way to have the most advanced features, and projects like OpenBSD and others have certainly proven that. Um, but I do think it's you know it's fair to point out that Apple has open sourced more than they have in the past, at least with Swift, um, the healthcare and research stuff, and um, you know not to say it's the whole platform, and it's certainly not the same thing. But I do think it's fair to note that there you know there's um, a little bit of a change. I know with the release of iOS eight there was more of a return to pleasing some of the fans. So I, I, I totally agree with you that they're still keeping that walled garden approach and it's not nearly the same as Google where the whole community can really contribute and improve the project. But um, Well, if you look at Google and Facebook who created you know Angular and uh, React, 
okay, respectively. You don't have to use those on Google or Facebook software devices. Mm -hmm. Swift was for the iPhone. Mm -hmm. So Apple didn't do anybody any favors. They didn't do the open source community anybody favors. They're trying to get people to use a simple programming language to write apps for their devices, which I understand, but that's not open sourcing. Well, it is literally open source, though. Okay, but you're right, but yeah. what am I going to use it for but for an Apple device? I've, I've heard that the people are talking about porting it to Android, so you can have one language okay. across multiple operating systems. So it could be used, but, but I agree. It's not designed yeah. to be and used. And so then it could devices. be ported to that, which is great. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same as saying, look, I'm going to give you a great way to write apps, which may or may not work on our systems, but it's something we're doing. Netflix is doing this stuff. You know, Netflix is saying, look, we've come up with this great way of deploying containers. Mm -hmm. Okay? Containers are changing virtual machines across the way everybody's doing stuff. And Netflix gave that to everybody. It doesn't make Netflix money directly. Mm -hmm. It makes everybody money. It gives, makes the overall development community better. That's a um, global consciousness thing, whatever you want to call it. Netflix is giving out to the community. It doesn't directly give them money. Google with Angular, same story. Even Facebook with React, same story. Apple, it's all self-serving, mm -hmm. which is fine, but it's not enough. That's true. That's a clear distinction. That's definitely you know, React. I can write apps for the Mac, uh, for the PC, uh, for the uh, for whatever iOS. Yeah, for a lot. Of but I can write it for Android. I don't have to port anything. Mm -hmm. I don't have to create a port to do it. I'll just write it. And Facebook said, "Here, go write an iPhone app, or go write an Android app. We don't care." We're going to give this to you. It's giving back. And I think that that's how you're going to... And that's where the developers... And Microsoft is doing the same thing now, right? They're trying to open it up. Yeah. They have realized that the developer community is monstrous. They are driving the future. This is the discussion we were having the other day. Where your developers choose to write for the platform. It has nothing to do with now whether it really, I mean, to the lay user, it seems like it's Apple against Google, but it's not. It's the developers and what they decide to run against mm -hmm. and where they want their apps to run. And Apple is clearly a player because they've got a huge base in the United States. But when it comes to overseas, they're not the largest smartphone manufacturer in the world. So developers, if they want to get their apps out once they're localized and once they're pushed, they're going to be ubi ubiquitous across devices. And as witnessed by Outlook, by Wonderlist and some of these other apps. You can't tell the difference. What do you say to developers who, you know, look more towards, um, and I think this definitely depends on your application model, but if you're doing an ad-based service, I think Android is the right platform to go. But if you're doing a paid application service, um, from my reading at least, it, they say Apple consumers expend more money per app than an Android consumer. Um, actually, I think Windows Phone consumers were before Android, and then Apple was the most expenditure per app as opposed to Android, where they release a lot of apps in the free-to-play model. It could be. I don't know. Mm -hmm. the, I've heard uh, stories where the developers make more money from Android now over the last year. It changed about a year and a half ago. But okay. I, don't know, I don't know that that's true. They take all of these things. They measure all of these different uh -huh. uh, metrics in so many different ways. The fact of the matter is you're going to make money no matter which platform you're on. If you mm -hmm. have a platform that you want people to use across the board... And then you want to be on all the platforms. Why limit yourself? And so if you can find, uh, to my thinking, if you can find something like a React.js or you can find something that's going to allow you to write code for all of the platforms, then why wouldn't you? Yeah. So, yeah. so I think that speaks to Amazon, um, or more so, yeah, Amazon, Netflix, and Facebook all developing these structures 
um, be it server technology, virtualization, containers, mm-hmm. or new languages that are open to all platforms and making them platform agnostic, like Microsoft is looking at moving into the future. It's how good I think it's how Microsoft has figured out they need to play well with others in order to get along and to survive. They have a tremendous runway because they've got almost all of the enterprise space and it's not going to go away very quickly. These companies just don't change that quickly. But it will change and it will erode because the desktops are going to disappear or they're going to change. It's not going to disappear, but it's going to change. People will be driving. It'll be bring your own device and you'll be using, it'll be your phone and secure, but security is going to be an issue. And Microsoft is hands down above everybody else on security and things like that. And they're, they're, you know, they've got a lot of huge opportunity, but they need to reckon with the Androids and the Apple devices of the world because they're not, clearly they've not, they were, they had smartphone stuff before Apple did. They just didn't okay. acknowledge. They just never got it out. Acknowledge the change in the yeah. shift in the iPhone direction. Right? Like Steve Ballmer yeah. famously mocked the iPhone, never believing it would be a competitor to their product. Yeah. And they had tablets and tablet PCs by Bill Gates in the early 2000s, and they just never fully... I had grid pads that used Windows back in the 80s. I mean, tablet-based computing, right? Mm-hmm. Tablets where the pen-based technology was developed by Samsung, by the way. So... And they had, and we had the Newton to play with, and that was a great device, but it never went anywhere either because the public wasn't really ready for it yet. I think, yeah. but that's classic Microsoft. I mean, and this has changed recently, but traditionally Microsoft er, has expended the most money, a percentage-wise, of all the tech companies on research. I think it's something absurd, like almost fifty percent more than the closest competitor. Sure. But Microsoft Research, which develops these great in-house products, like incredible tech demos, you wouldn't believe. They never get them out to market. And that's always been the case until recently. Recently, it's been getting um, with Microsoft Garage and their other programs that just push software out and let people beta test and try it out. It's improved significantly, but under Balmer, um, I think that was always throwing them back. They have these crazy cool tech demos and then I think they materialize. You're right. It, it was very disappointing. Yeah. I think what they're doing now is I think they lost the bet on mobile, right? They could have had a bigger share in it. They could have developed it into something where it was, you know, Microsoft versus Apple rather than just Android and iOS. And so I think and now they're doing this big push where they acknowledge that they miss mobile. They're going to invest whatever they can to be a player, but then they're investing in things like the bots or making it easier for it to develop. They're looking for that next thing. Well, I think they're win. smart, too, because smartphones are going to become ubiquitous and they're going to disappear, too. Mm-hmm. You're not, we're not going to use these smartphones to interact anymore. right? Mm-hmm. You'll have your smartphone in your watch, on your glasses, because it's going to become smaller and smaller. You're not going to need it. The voice interaction, it'll know what you're doing based on these bots and this other stuff. You know... IBM is still the leading producer of patents year on year, okay? And they are innovating. Microsoft is innovating. They're looking past the smartphone. They said, look, this mobile thing, it's not going to work the way everybody's thinking right now. And if you're focused on the smartphones, like we all are, you know, we're looking in the next six months and two years. We're not looking five years from now. We're not going to, I don't know what it'll be, but it's not going to be the smartphone. Mm. The user experience is going to develop where the actual technology fades and we'll need another way of experiencing and interacting yeah. and stuff. And I think that's why all these companies need such a big push into uh, into bots. And the HoloLens, the bots. Siri and all these other things, right? That It's not just directly looking at a screen and interacting with it. I mean, they're talking about ways, you know, bio-authentication, you know, in addition to the two-factor. All of a sudden, I can be speaking and say a command of some sort or not even a command just the way I speak and whatever is listening 
knows. Maybe I got a microphone or something. Or it, your heart like your, rate is unique sometimes to the way your heart beats. Yeah, but just like your uh, uh, guest last week or the week before with the implants, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I've got a little transmitter that's listening to what I'm saying, and I say, okay, go, go do this. The computer doesn't need to know <laughs> my phone starting. Okay, I don't need to have a device with me anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know uh, Google deployed a service in San Francisco where you just say, I'll pay with Google, and that's it. So you just talk and, and it know, it so knows. these devices know where you are. Your car can know where you're, the power can be in your car, it can be in your house. That's where this continuum idea comes in where you, you can be sharing computing power. You don't even have to have this device with you anymore, mm -hmm. right? And so all of a sudden, if something comes, I could just be wearing an earphone. And all of a sudden, something important comes up. I get an email that comes in and it says, hey, you got an email from this. Do you want to listen to it? I just say yes. It's kind of like a mix between like the movie Her and then like the vision with the your braggy earbuds too, right? Well, how about without the helmet, Jarvis yeah. from Iron Man. That's what you're talking about, mm -hmm. right? That Jarvis the computer isn't sitting in the Iron Man suit. It's back at the office. Mm -hmm. But yet there's that constant connection. And that's kind of what you're talking about, but everybody's not going to be wearing a suit. But it'll be miniaturized enough that it'll be in a pair of glasses or it'll be in a it's tooth. It's flexible in a form where whatever well, hardware that you carry. You can put a filling in. And they'll be able to handle a really full speaker. <laughs> I have many fillings in crowns. I wish I could put something cooler than just the cap itself. <laughs> no, I'm saying. Yeah, I understand. I mean, yeah. so that's. So the smartphone is going to disappear. So while Google and Facebook or, or Google and uh, Samsung and Apple are going all back and forth. Eventually, somebody's going to come out with something. If it's not them, it's going to be somebody else. Somebody, and most likely, will be somebody else. If you look at history, mm -hmm. Amazon and the Echo, Echo could be our Jarvis. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Prediction made. No, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think that's far enough. Oh, okay. Okay, I think they. It could be, but I think somebody's going to come out with something that is going to be game changing again. Yeah. And it's not going. And these phones will. We won't need them anymore. So, would you say to those people who say we've hit peak smartphone? We've gone one step further. We've hit peak hardware. So now it's not like we're in a new game-changing paradigm, a new tablet computer or whatever have it, but the whole interaction, interaction like Candace was saying, it's much more about the service and the connectivity than the actual physical device. Well, I'm not sure what you mean by peak hardware. As in, like, there's not going to be a next big thing after the smartphone. The hardware is irrelevant. It's the experience and the interaction and you can have it whatever way you want it. I think you're pretty much there now. I yeah. mean, their company, Xiaomi, makes an iPhone clone that runs Android, and I haven't seen it, and I just haven't wanted to spend the money recently because I've got so many other phones. But uh, honestly, until the 6P, which changes my desire, if I could put Android, and I like the new Marshmallow, and I love N, if I could put that on the iPhone, I'd have an iPhone. Mm. Again, before the 6P, now that's changed a little bit. The power, cons the power management on the 6P is very innovative, what they did with that processor. I think they did a great job. And I love the fact that they're not trying to make the hardware. They're just laying out specs for prototypes and letting other companies do it, and they're changing it constantly. HTC is going to do the next one, though. Mm. So, and I think that, that makes me excited because HTC is one of my favorites. Yeah, and I think that that's good. It, it, that's another example of where Google's not being a hardware company, but they are trying to get hardware to, to showcase their equipment. They're letting other companies sit in their specialty zone, but they're also spreading it around. Yeah. So Asus gets some. Yahweh finally got into the country now because of, yeah. of that. And uh, who make a great phone. Yeah. And LG, HTC. And so they're spreading it around. Which I think is great. Gives mm -hmm. them, you know, again, helps them with their PR. Yeah. 
I, on a conceptual level, love the idea of the Nexus and what Google's doing with having other companies innovate for them and then just sharing their services. It just, on a, on a usability standpoint, still, I think that's the reason why I'm still on an iPhone. It took how many versions of a Nexus phone for it to, for someone to say that, right? I feel but, like every major Nexus phone had a hamartia, had a fatal flaw. But see, I've had them, and I've had the different iOS versions, and I've never been able to use. I jailbroke iOS religiously. When it became harder to jailbreak, I finally made the final yeah. break to Android. And I made the break to Android, and I don't even root anymore. Because the stuff that I used to root the device for is now in the operating yeah. system because they listened to the consumers about what they wanted. They didn't say, no, no, you don't need this. We're going to decide not to do it. They said, all right, you want it? Fine. And some of the stuff, they said, we're going to put behind a, a secret thing, so only if you're advanced do you do it. Here's how. We'll tell you how, but we're not going to make it part of the normal interface. And now you're getting security updates. You know, we got stage fright. We got all these different things that come out. Google's updating them every month with security updates and stuff. It's, ver it's fresh. You know, it's more like a desktop operating system. And uh, it's very intriguing. And they continue to make it, at least for me, more and more usable. Mm. And I, I would agree that I think the way they deploy their software, too, is especially innovative. You know, with the iPhone, the core pre-included apps, you need a software update, which comes out more like a waterfall release cycle. You get a couple every year, which um, is a little different because it's a closed operating system, so you don't have as many bug discoveries, but they certainly happen. And it's not that they're immune to bugs and stuff like that. But with Google, they can update their web views and their um, pre-installed, like the phone app and such, over the air through the App Store, which I think is a big plus that is underrated a lot of times. But again, you're dealing with an open source operating system, so if I don't want the Google apps, I can create an Android operating system without any of the Google apps and run Android. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I... I think about it, and I agree with you, all the Android stuff, and then I do the sabbatical every year, and every year I'm just like... Although I you think know. your sabbatical this year was a little unfair. <laughs> I agree. It's Using Oxygen OS, which is an, infant, an infantile OS, yeah. it's built off some of newer iOS, but it's not... It's I don't think that that was a fair comparison. I think that if you wanted to do something, it should have been either Samsung, which has a more mature interface... Or a HTC or a Nexus. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, a lot, I think a lot of the experience was really uh, blocked off by just um, OnePlus and their hardware and then running Oxygen. But it does make me excited. Like this Nexus phone, I haven't been excited about a Nexus hardware since what? Since the HTC, the one HTC made it. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to try it again. I'm hoping to soon. I've had every version of the Nexus and... I love and love them and have increasingly loved them. The five was my favorite. Yeah, it's everyone's favorite, right? Not anymore. Six P hands wow. down. Wow. And, I've got, and I've got a five X also. And you don't like the five X? I like the five X. It's just smaller than I want, so I use because I have I have the five X on, on Google Fi. Oh yeah, okay. But mm. I use uh, I use the six P. Mm. I definitely am a fan of the six P, and uh, having seen you use yours, uh, there's definitely a lot to admire. Um, the reason I've gone with iOS, and I think I'm going to continue there for a little bit, is um, not so much the phone or the operating system so much. Uh, for my uses, at least, I'd say they're pretty much equivalent. And if yeah. I can do on one, I can do equally as well on the other. But um, for me, it's the network of um, the users. You know, my whole family's on iOS devices, mm -hmm. uh, which might speak more like the culture of my family than anything else. But everybody I know, or the majority of people I know, are on iOS. And that ubiquity with the services and the framework, or not the framework, sorry, but um, the ecosystem that's around that is what keeps me there. 
more than anything else. Um, and I think there's an intrinsic value to that, especially as we move more platform agnostic with what Microsoft's pushing. And Google, too, in some ways. Um, Apple, well, to a lesser extent, yeah. certainly. But Facebook, Netflix. So um, with that, I think I've definitely lost a little more interest in the phone choices year to year. But it's definitely certainly interesting. And with HTC doing so much with the 10, I'm certainly interested to see what they do with the Nexus. I think that's ex- very good points. I mean, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. I'm not here to say that you can you can do anything practically speaking or anything critical, one way or the other, better or worse on either device. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just am technical. I'm a propeller head. I like having control of what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And Android gives me that control. Yeah. And Apple does not. Yeah. Um, if Apple had a back button and if they had <laughs> settings inside the apps, oh yeah, yep. those two things alone might let me use it. But it's unusable to me without those two things. That and the icons are too big. Mm. The okay. icons are too big. Too, like, I like to put more on the screen. But I have the six. So, I mean, and but those are esoteric things. Mm-hmm. Right, those are things you just get used to the user experience. There's nothing I can do on one that I can't do on the other, mm-hmm. and I'm not here to say that that's the yeah. case. I, the one thing I made the break from consciously even before this was the iTunes ecosystem. I don't buy anything on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now like the funny thing is we're both iPhone users, and I don't think either of us, aside from subscribing to Apple Music, which I think is a little bit different, I haven't bought an iTunes single and couple of years now. That's music even, but I'm talking about the movies. I won't buy a movie on iTunes. Yeah, I haven't bought one either. I so. buy them on Google. Yeah, Because cool. I can play the Google ones on any device. Yeah. I haven't bought a movie in years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're talking about I do, because I like the stuff. Cause yeah. I'm, no, because I'm stupid. Well, it's good deals. I mean, the problem is I'm, when I decide I want to watch it, I'm never at a place where I've got the ability to get it or rent it or whatever. So if I buy it, then it's in the library, and when I want it, you know, okay. certain ones I have, I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay for because it's always one I'm about to get on the airplane. It's you know, it's yeah, it's, yeah. So no, it's exactly. too late for me to do anything because I'm not planning that. By the time we're sitting on the couch, you turn on the TV, you're on your media shield. You don't have to be like, oh, I have to open my laptop. I have to turn the Plex server. Yeah. Oh, do I have yeah. this port open? And then by the time you do it, then you've lost that yeah. that momentum into watching it. I fall mm-hmm. into the trap. But all see, the now time. that's interesting because Google Play experience on the uh, on the televisions is not the same. So mm-hmm. only with Marshmallow, I think it was, could I like a video. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even do that. But I can't rate a movie. Oh, through the Google... I have to do it on the screen, which is a little frustrating, you know. Yeah. Um, Netflix I can, which I love that feature. The ratings and Sure, everything. because yeah. I rate something and then all of a sudden, hopefully, I get smarter. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty good, too, the recommendations. I don't really like, you know, my Spotify or Pandora recommendation or Apple Music, but the one that keeps going back to Netflix I'm really impressed about, and we've read case studies about what they're doing with intelligent learning, always on point. Except the thing, and Netflix is good because you can have your own accounts. Yeah. If, so if you share accounts like I do, at least I've got mine, and I make sure that I beat anybody who goes onto my account to order anything. <laughs> and Hulu's a problem because you don't have that. And mm-hmm. so the suggest and I do share accounts there, and the yeah. oh, the suggestions I get sometimes. <laughs> I'm going through pages and pages of stuff. I'm like, really? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't watch any of this. You know, because it's not something you know. I don't mean to cut you off, but we've gone way over our time, so I'm going to cut it there. That's but what editing is for. That's <laughs> what editing is for. You can be sure this one's going to be edited. I warned you. I told you this would be forever. <laughs> but thank you so much for being here today. Um, is there anything like pleasure. to plug before we sign off? Well, you can check out Apatura.com, A-P-P-A-T-U-R-A, and uh, there's some stuff that I'm going to start to blog about with content management and some HTML talk and XBRL and things like that, Uh, but basically, and you can 
And that'll be on Apertour.com? That'll be on Apertour.com. Awesome. We'll make sure to include the links down below in our show notes, too. Sounds great. It's been a pleasure. Of course, I'm doing all the talking again, but (laughs) that's what happens. When you start teaching, you learn how to not stop talking. That's why we had you here. So thank you for everybody listening. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Pocket Cast. You name it, we're probably on it. We'll be on Google Play very soon. I know we got approved, so hang on there. Um, You can reach me at Russo underscore Rob on Twitter. I changed my handle. Might change it back. I'm indecisive. And you can reach Candice at Candice Poon. And, yeah, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thank you very much, and uh, have a nice day. Bye, guys. Bye.